0: What's up, KCORN Podcast? How are we doing today? First off, I'd like to welcome you all back and thank you guys for how much you're supporting the channel. Even though we've been off for about two months and now we're back into it, um, I plan on uploading Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Let your friends know. Um, because I'm out on the West Coast, technically mountain time right now, uh, uploads are going to get later when I come back from work because when I get home from work, it'll probably be around 6. I'll try to upload right after I eat, so it'll probably be... Not until 10 or 11 that you guys will be seeing these episodes, so just keep that in mind when you're wondering, you know, why why is everything coming out so late? Uh, What I may end up doing is either pre-record some videos so that we can still get out Monday content, um, or just upload on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, but record everything on those days, but that way you can have it first thing in the morning. I haven't quite decided what the game plan is um, on that yet, but... uh, when I do start my work, we'll kind of see how late kind of things run again and again. But what I'm planning on talking about today are two things. First off, I'd like to thank anyone who's interacted on the polls that I ran. So I ran two polls. One was about covering F1 racing. Um, I got positive feedback um, as two to one to cover F1. Um, I'm not gonna cover it super in depth. I don't know a whole lot about it, which is one of the problems. I know that it's kind of like, you know MMA kind of has different rules of, you know. Dependent upon where the fight's happening. I think there's different rules for like hey when cars are the same when cars are Different because they can build cars out obviously differently, but when all the engines are the same That's requirement At some of the racetracks. I, I don't know how all that kind of works and what's kind of the expectation there um, one thing that I really do enjoy and I um, uh, really do like about it is it's Sunday it's right before football and it's it's really the commentators do a good job of kind of informing you what's going on at all times and and maybe they need someone sort of like me in the booth meaning that like a guy that's kind of asking exploring questions but as we get down the home stretch the last three races um it'll be interesting to see kind of how everything goes out hotly contested matchup versus Lewis and Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen so we will be covering that another thing I brought up is the fact that the Big Ten only has one starting or backup point guard currently in the one or two of any rotation in the NBA, and I said, did you find that more surprising or the fact that the Pac-12 has eleven guards? I think eight of which start or seven of which start. Um, and you guys said the Big Ten. I would agree. I think that the Big Ten has had a lot of really good college guards, but not a lot of guys that got translated. Like they've had a lot of high draft picks: Denzel Valentine, Trey Burke. Um, well, I guess Denzel Valentine is more of a shooting guard, but Cassius Winston, um, and these guys don't necessarily trade to the NBA level because most of them are undersized, a little bit less athletic, but they're great shot makers, great playmakers, and that's what differentiates them at the college level. But at the next level, they're looking for a bit more, you know, athletic length and and, and skill. So, um, with that being said, we're going to get into the uh, NCAA football. Um, I'm going to be covering NFL after this. My game plan with that is I'm doing predictions for all the games because I'm not recording, or well, I am recording tomorrow, but that's on Dune, and that'll just be like a probably a 30-minute um, podcast covering that. But the game plan is we do NCAA today, we do the NFL, we do the um, NHL highlights kind of related with another ridiculous goal yesterday, just covering some more things, uh, kind of the trends we're seeing, cover Red Wings a little bit. Um, MLB Awards talk about the hilarity of the awards being this late into the season when no one cares, when every other sport is currently going on in the you know, the United States. Um, I know I talked about getting Le'Veon Bell and his story um, today. I want to do that Monday, mostly because this is going to be the first game without the Ravens. And when I talk about the Ravens, um, I'll, I want to save them for last and then go in depth and cover um, kind of his historic, I guess you could say, fall from the high hopes of football. I mean, we kind of know the stories, but I want to do some research. You know, he, he, MSU grad, went to Pittsburgh, was a backup running back, came on as a rookie, uh, had a really good year, went to sign his big first contract. Um, I think he was offered like $18 a year, turned it down, wanted more money, which at the time made sense. And then gets franchise tag, sits out, gets fined, goes to the Jets, um, gets paid money to go there not really used cut after a season uh gets on Kansas City last year I believe on the off season gets cut from them heading into this season with Clyde Edwards hilaire coming back and then he's on the Ravens and he just got cut so like I just want to know the depths kind of some of the things we've heard about you know that that we've heard about but we haven't necessarily followed through and, and talked about as as much as maybe you'd you'd think with how you know important, and and how, um. You know how much of a pillar of the game he really was for a few minutes. Um, for those of you wondering when I'm going to talk about college basketball, probably at the end of the college football season. Um, college basketball, all the preseason stuff, all the early games, to me, don't really matter. Um, no, that's not only because Michigan ended up losing. To uh, what? See, it, It's mostly just the fact that. When I watch the early games, none of it matters because of kind of the way that the season goes and because of kind of the way it trends, conference basketball is really the only thing that matters. And I find the conference games, everyone's a little bit more invested into. You have matchups, they play each other twice a year for the most part. And I just think that it's much more fun to watch that. Um, the conference basketball I usually don't follow at this part of the year because it's like on a Wednesday night at like seven thirty, and I'm like I really could care less if Michigan playing you know little school of the blind or in this case they actually played Seton Hall, a good team. But I mean it's a good testament to build up wins for later in the season for seeding, but I don't think it gives a good indication of where teams are. College basketball is really really funky where teams don't necessarily grow over the college football season maybe a little bit. Um, college basketball because so many freshmen come in early. Because of the way that the sport kind of is, um, there's no simple way for like, you know, teams travel in leaps and bounds in that sport, um, and because of that, it, it kind of leads me to to not watch early basketball because of how different the sport is at the end of the year. Because there's a lot of teams that start out really hot. Um, if you remember, uh, Michigan started out like 18 and 0 one year. They were flying high. Jordan Poole is making everything, and then for the last you know two and a half weeks of the season they couldn't make a shot and they think they get bounced in the second round um and you know sometimes that's how it is um when looking at college basketball uh you know it doesn't matter how you start definitely matters how you finish so with that being said let us get into some uh predictions for this weekend we do have a game uh on tomorrow memphis versus houston it's a ranked matchup uh Houston is really the only competent team left on a Cincinnati schedule. Uh, they haven't played Cincinnati, but they're most likely going to match up in the AAC championship game, uh, barring some catastrophe with Houston uh, losing to Memphis. But important win uh, tomorrow for them to get ahead. They'd move on to 10-1. and one. With some losses ahead of them, they might move up into the top 20, which bolsters Cincinnati's season, which is important if Cincinnati's trying to make the playoffs, some other losses happen, uh, and they pick up a top-20 win to win their conference at the end of the year. It also gives us kind of like an eye test, like, hey, Houston's pretty good. I think Houston, only their only loss this season came to Oklahoma State? Or no, Texas Tech. So, like, we don't even know how good this team is. I know Houston has, you know, I, I know they're kind of different. I know they got up early in that game, and I think they're up, like, 21-7, to 7 and then they just absolutely lost it but we have some games uh that I really want to talk about Georgia is playing the tough Charleston Southern this weekend um SEC scheduling I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot um I'm going to come back to the MSU Ohio State game I'm going to come back to the Michigan Maryland game I think there's a little tricky there's a few tricky matchups um I was talking to my buddy Sam Walkis shout out Sam um I have mentioned this a few times in my podcast, but because I'm kind of doing this again, if I got any new fans and any new friends listening, um, at Promo Guy MI, um, I believe is his Twitter handle. Let me quick double check. Yep, at Promo Guy MI. You can follow him. It's a football helmet, is kind of the thing. And he he uh, tweets out, I, would say, I wouldn't say bets, I would say like, he basically does statistical analysis for you and you guys can follow him and track him on bets now for some of you if any of you are listening to this out of the state of Michigan his bets don't always track well um you know because he he really focuses on boosts um and, and kind of other things like that where you're getting advanced odds and then he kind of goes back he he has everything written up so I kind of won't lecture you on it but he is talking about how this is kind of the appetizer or or the teaser for next weekend where all the big games will kind of be decided um, and the rest of the playoff picture will kind of be formulated. But there are a bunch of, like I would say, upset available games, games where teams match up maybe not as well as you'd think, and really kind of what you can see here are some some playoff chances that are able to be ruined this weekend with teams, you know, looking forward to the last week of the season. So, Wake Forest Clemson, I think Clemson wins this game. It's at Clemson. Clemson can still get to 8 wins with one of those uh, you know, they're 7 and 3, so 8 and 3 a chance, right, to go 9 and 3 in the last week of the season. Um, you know, as as bad as the season kind of was for Clemson standards. Yeah, they play South Carolina, not very good South Carolina team so Clemson can go in there if they win this weekend looking for nine wins with one of those losses being to Georgia, the number one team in the country, by seven points, that a double OT loss to NC State. Um, I think they got blown—where um, did they? Oh, and they lost to Pittsburgh, but, you know, just not a normal Clemson year, but they can play spoiler. It's a home game. Um, Clemson's favorite in this, so I don't know if you necessarily call it an upset. Um, I don't think Wake's very good. I just think there's a really good matchup, and if I had to make an upset pick this weekend, uh, obviously they're favored, but uh, you know a seven and three team favored against the top ten team in the country. I guess you can kind of see where the playoff committee, where betters, where kind of everyone thinks this is going. Uh, I, I really like Clemson in this matchup. I think Uyunglele has played with some poor odds. They've lost a lot of talent to the NFL. And I think they've been starting to figure out the offense. The offense hasn't been good, don't get me wrong. The line has been absolutely dreadful. But I think they're starting to figure things offensively out a bit more than they were at the start of the season. You know, it's tough to play Georgia at the start of the season. But this defense is good. And Wake Forest defense is piss poor. So maybe a few explosive plays with some of those better athletes. And you get technically not an upset. But I think number 10 is going down this weekend. Um, Iowa State, Oklahoma. Iowa State always plays people extremely, extremely tough. Um, they they have a very up and down year. Matt Campbell probably not fighting for his job over there in Iowa State. I know a lot of people want him to come to Michigan. I talked about that on the podcast. Um, hasn't really had the year that he wanted. He made some kind of comments about, well, where are your expectations at the beginning of the year? It's supposed to be like 10, 11 wins, participating for a Big Ten champion or Big 12 championship, and he kind of had some weird comments about like that may have been other people's motives, but we knew who we were as a team, and that wasn't our expectation. It's kind of weird how he we kind of like dance around the fact that he's having an underwhelming year, but Oklahoma's only favored by three and a half at home. Um, I, I don't know if Iowa State pulls this off, but if Oklahoma doesn't blow them out, I think there's zero chance for them to make the playoffs. I think if they blow them out, show that, hey, last week was kind of a mistake, go out there and, and you know, really put it to Iowa State at home, uh, that could help bolster their reputation with some of the top teams falling this week. Texas AM uh gets a tough matchup of a seven and two team. It's Prairie View guys. So, you know they get an easy win. No one else in the SEC loses. I'm not gonna harp on it too much, but it's just frustrating seeing that this is the second to last weekend of the season is in playing Prairie View. Mississippi State gets a free win, so they're gonna they're currently six and four. They get a free seven and four bid. They have to play Tennessee State. Um Iowa versus Illinois, Illinois has to win both of their last two games to become bowl eligible. Illinois has played wonky all year. They played really well against really good teams, I guess you could say, but have been bad against bad teams. Um, this Illinois team uh, doesn't match up well with Iowa at all, though. Um, I think Iowa only being 12.5-point favorites might just be the fledging of the fact that Iowa can't score that much, and this Illinois defense isn't awful. But you look at how this Illinois team kind of establishes itself. It's through the run game. Brandon Peters and Sitkowski and all these guys that they're throwing at quarterback at Illinois, they have no one that can really win on the outside. They do have a good dynamic duo at the running back position. But as uh, Iowa teams good against the run, I don't think Illinois is really close in this one. Um, Notre Dame plays Georgia Tech. Usually this is a hotly contested matchup. Georgia Tech running their triple option kind of gives Notre Dame troubles at the end of the year. Um, This is going to be a blowout, though. Um, Alabama versus Arkansas. This is really the matchup that people are talking about this weekend, obviously outside of the fact of Michigan State and Ohio State. But SEC country is really digging this. Um, Arkansas might let up 80 points this game. But Alabama struggled against the run game at Texas A&M. Now, this is a home game for Alabama, so it changes things a little bit. But Arkansas is extremely effective at running. Quarterback runs. Uh, Jefferson is the like a very agile and athletic and strong quarterback. I think this game Alabama's favored by 20 and a half. I do I would take Arkansas if I were a betting man. Now, I'm not telling you this is not betting advice. But I'm saying that I really like Arkansas to keep it close. I don't I wouldn't take them to win. Uh, Alabama's much more talented and they like I said they might get 80 put on them. I don't think they're going to be able to hold up defensively, but Alabama has some some chunks in the armor in the rushing defense category. Um, We'll see if those get completely ironed out. Um, And if they haven't, I guess we can kind of, you know, get an expectation of next week when Auburn and them match up with Tank Bigsby running after them. Now we got Cincinnati's basically the closest matchup they've had since I think the Notre Dame game, like a team that's actually pretty competent at playing football. SMU's eight and two. Uh, Their loss a few weeks ago, I believe, to Houston, kind of knocked them out of the top twenty-five, but they've been around there the entire time, um, right around thirty or so. I think that this might be upset time for Cincinnati. Cincinnati has to go in it, and if this is a close game, if this is at all close, it's a home game. SMU's eight and two. Um. You know, and the Cincinnati team is like, oh, we're so much better. We deserve to be the five team in the country. They just lost to Me- or they lost to Memphis two weeks ago, twenty eight twenty five. Memphis is five and five, and they lost to Houston by seven. Um, they lost back to back weeks. Bounce back with UCF, who's horrible. Um, this has to be a blowout, and and people can say, well, it doesn't matter how you win. It matters if you win. Obviously, the year the committee is looking at more factors than just wins and losses. Look at how Michigan is ranked over Michigan State. Well, statistically, they outplay their opponents at a higher rate and a higher clip than Michigan State does. Therefore, they deserve to be an honor spot. Um, If Cincinnati doesn't handle SMU and Oregon and Ohio State both win this weekend, I could see Michigan jumping to 5 for number four versus... er, yeah, four versus five matchup with Ohio State, you know, or Ohio State might jump to three, and if Oregon loses, I don't know. I'm just saying I can see how the media is already looking at this. Cincinnati needs to blow them out. I think they can. I don't think this SMU team's very good. But again, Cincinnati struggled the last few weeks. And is this the week where, you know, they finally get tripped up, where the quarterback doesn't slide at the half-yard line, where, you know, they don't call four straight runs from the one-yard line? I mean, we'll, we'll see. But I really, really like the fact that this SMU team is going to go out there and compete and light it up offensively. It's just whether their defense can kind of do it. And if Cincinnati, if their passing defense can hold up. Wisconsin and Nebraska. um, Wisconsin has been extremely good the second half of the year. Uh, That loss to Michigan really opened their eyes on what they had to do. Uh, Really pound the ball, more power packages, get the running backs more involved, um, and have a complimentary quarterback and Graham Mertz which is what they kind of did last year and when Graham Mertz at the start of the season before he went out with COVID and they struggled again um what they were able to do is run the ball extremely effectively uh let Mertz he kind of ran it Ryan Tannehill where he didn't have to make throws into super tight windows but he had to be on time he had to be accurate and that's what Graham Mertz does and it seems like Wisconsin got back to that stopping you know not relying on him to do more than kind of what he's capable of um but what I really like uh, on this is that Nebraska plays everyone tough. They're on the road. Wisconsin is in minus nine and a half, nine points. Uh, I'd really like Nebraska to cover that. Now uh, I, I think Nebraska loses this game, goes to three and eight. The fans are pissed off because they're probably going to lose another one-score game like they have the last five weeks with a turnover from Adrian Martinez, you know, late in the game. But uh, I, I think Wisconsin gets a huge win here, depending on how some other things shake up. They may be around the top ten. Um, heading into their last matchup and the weekend, and if not this weekend, they'll probably next weekend, they'll be the most likely the number one or two uh, three-loss team in the country, being in sniffing the top 10 for a Big Ten championship game against a most likely top five opponent, which makes a Big Ten, which makes probably either winner, uh, not Wisconsin, but I'm saying uh, that makes the winner of it, if it's not Wisconsin, you know, look even better and probably jump up to number two with the Alabama or Georgia loss. Pittsburgh faces Virginia. Um, Kenny Pickett throwing the rock. Pittsburgh is 14.5 point favorites. Uh, Virginia struggled kind of down the stretch. Armstrong in that offense hasn't really been able to stay clicking. I still like Virginia to make this a close game. I talked about that on Monday. I don't think Pittsburgh is very good. Pittsburgh lost to Western Michigan, who's really struggling in the MAC at this point. Um, And what Pittsburgh does well is they stuff the run. And. They are weak on the back end and let up big plays. You can kind of look at Pat Narduzzi and his time at MSU when he had all those Division One or top end NFL corners, and then when they lost those guys, you know he he had already left the program. But the man, man, cover one safety over top. You saw big play after big play, and I think Virginia might be able to hit on some of those. I think Pittsburgh probably wins this game, but I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia covers with how good their offense you know was until the last two weeks or so. UTSA. You know, playing UAB, 7-3, and three, hopefully they win. UTSA is only favored by 4.5. Um, you know, whenever a team like UTSA wins, where they, they come out of nowhere, everyone wants them to be way higher, and it's kind of like, look who they played. Um, I like UTSA, and I hope that they get uh not, not a New Year's Six Bowl, definitely not, but a, a bigger bowl that you can kind of highlight these teams. Like maybe a bowl against a BYU, you know, established guy who's – not necessarily necessarily a power five guy, but not like a Notre Dame, where you can kind of say like, "Hey, this is a matchup of like the non power five guys." Um, NC State plays Syracuse. Um, remaining to stay relevant, the fact that they're seven and three in ranked twenty. So you think of a seven and three Wisconsin ranked fifteen, a seven and three NC State's ranked twenty. Uh, Wisconsin has wins over Iowa and uh, Minnesota. I mean, and their only losses were to Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan. One wasn't a neutral site, um, and both of those, I guess, were home games. So I guess that's kind of why they get trashed. But I just don't think NC State's that good. Um, Baylor, maybe a hangover. Kansas State is a sneaky 7-3, and three, guys. A really, really sneaky kind of way that they play football. They're really disciplined. They go out and win big games. Their losses this year have been an 11-point loss to Kansas, or to Oklahoma State, a 6-point loss to Oklahoma, and a 13-point loss to Iowa State. Three losses in three consecutive weeks, and they've rattled off um, four consecutive wins here. They beat Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas, West Virginia. They have Baylor. This is really their last big matchup before they go to and play Texas. So they've sneakily gotten the seven and three. I know most people will be like, yeah, well, they're, it's, they're not playing a really tough schedule. And I would agree. They're three big matchups. They lost, all of them decently close, one of them two scores. But, I think that this is a huge opportunity for Kansas. You know, with Baylor on that hangover, to potentially not knock Baylor out of a college football playoff, you know, at all. Um, other things: Oregon, Utah. This is uh, me kind of rounding out the end of games that, or uh, we'll we'll do this real quick. Ole Miss playing Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's awful. Ole Miss kills them. They're favored by 36 and points. They might put up 80 points. Uh, Oklahoma State versus Texas Tech. Oklahoma State is only favored by 10 on the road at Texas Tech. Hostile environment. Lubbock over there. But I really like Oklahoma State to cover. Uh, Oklahoma State has played really good football all year. They've been really disciplined. I think that they're not going to lose it this down the stretch because they still have the chance, guys, for Oklahoma State. They reel off a win this week at Texas Tech. You know, Texas Tech isn't great, but it's Texas Tech. Anytime you play Texas Tech, it's tough. And then you go and beat Oklahoma. And then you have to beat Baylor again. Um, Most likely if you beat Oklahoma, I'll give them two losses. Baylor has the head-to-head with Oklahoma, so you play Baylor in the championship game. I think that gives them a chance to jump in the playoff. Uh, Hopefully hopefully they win this weekend. I I really like them. You got Oregon and Utah. A lot of people are talking about how Oregon's been struggling the last few weeks, including myself. Um, They're going to Utah. Really tough place to play. Um, People going... Sorry, I had to yawn. People go and lose their year in and year out. I think that for the most part, Oregon isn't even favored number three versus 23. Utah may be a little under because they had some, I'm not gonna say early losses, but they had some early struggles um, in the season. They lose to now-ranked San Diego State team uh, that's ranked in the top 25 in three overtimes. They lose to a ranked BYU team at BYU, so back-to-back away games that they lose um, a nine-point game in the Utah-BYU game, like I said, triple overtime. Then they rattle off a bunch of wins. They just really have an off night away at Oregon State, but they've been really good at home, really dominating the ball. And I think that this is a really good chance for Utah to have a significant win and significant impact. Now, what I will say is this Oregon squad is, is not what we're used to. Uh, they're not really high high rise and score. Anthony Brown really hasn't been the answer offensively to lead them to having a, a significant passing attack. They haven't been able to push the ball as much as vertically as they want. He's not throwing it a whole lot. Uh, and and what I will say on the rat, running back group is Travis Dye has picked up significantly, um, where they they really needed this Oregon team really needed someone to step up. Because when uh, Verdell, uh, CJ Verdell, when he went out, um, he had that huge game against OSU. He had six touchdowns already on the season, um, 406 yards rushing. Now it's complemented by Anthony Brown. He has over 500 yards rushing at this point in eight TDs. But he was averaging 4, 5.2 yards a carry. And in the early season struggles, they've really ridden this this run game, this physical attack with Mario Cristobal. Travis Dye is averaging over six yards of carry. He has 12 touchdowns. He's doing all of the small things right, and that has really been their saving grace because they haven't been great like we've seen every other Oregon offense be. Really, what this Oregon team is is they're gonna kind of they they remind me of a Michigan team where where their quarterback can throw a little bit, where their quarterback can be effective and efficient when he needs to. He has 12 touchdowns and four interceptions. And sir, when we look up Cade's stats in a second, um, it'll be close to that. But this team is really gonna run the ball at you. They're gonna attack. They're going to attack you up the gut. They're going to attack you on the edges when they can. But their bread and butter is to stop you defensively, to to limit what you can do offensively, to get that offense more chances and pound you away. That's kind of how they've won all their games, is it's close, it's close, it's close. And then in the third or fourth quarter, um, they really just pull away because of how good that running game is. Now, I will say that I'm concerned for Oregon um, just like the rest of the country, but I think Oregon wins this game. Unlike everyone else, I think Utah isn't ready for this moment. I think Oregon is going to beat them this weekend away, then go into the championship game and lose. I feel like that's very on brand for who Oregon is, um, as 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 a university that they win the big one on the road and then they come back and you know lose the one in the championship game for postseason big. I just don't think that. When you play a team like Oregon twice, it's really easy to kind of game plan and out scheme them a second time because they don't have a lot of tricks up the sleeve. They don't have the wide receivers on the outside to necessarily beat you like they usually do. They don't have a quarterback that can get it there. They don't have one of these Justin Herberts, Marcus Mariotas of the world. They had to go and get a transfer because, you know, guys left universities um, and, and stuff like that. I think the Texas Tech quarterback was actually the transfer from Oregon, who was a five-star, didn't really work out last year, and and, you know that's kind of how things work out, is that people can just leave instantly now, and they had to go get Anthony Brown in the transfer portal, and he's been okay, but he hasn't necessarily lit up the scoreboard that you'd normally see in an Oregon matchup, but I'd take Oregon here. Um, The fact that the number three team in the country is getting points um, really says two things. This has been a crazy football year. No one really knows who's good. And the and the second thing and most important thing is that no one thinks outside of their playoff committee that Oregon should be number three just because of their one significant win over, obviously, a pretty good OSU team. Arkansas, Alabama. Um, I, I already hinted on this. 20.5 points to spread. I I, I still can't believe that that's the spread. Uh, you know, like, number, number three versus 23, is three points, but number two versus 21 is 20.5. 20 it's kind of just like the way things are this year. Um, I know it's road versus home, but that's usually only seven to 10 points, not not 24 points. Um, just, just a little goofy that I wanted to make note of. Now we're going to cover the Michigan game, and then we're going to jump into the big matchup this weekend, which is MSU-OSU. Uh, I believe it's on It's on ABC. It's a noon game, Um, so we don't get the Fox noon game, which kind of sucks. That's the Oklahoma-Iowa State game. I like Fox Big Ten. I like Gus Johnson calling games, especially when a Michigan team is involved. I love the way and energy he brings the calls. Now, maybe do I wish he was a little bit less repetitive in some of his calls? Absolutely, but I really, truly love Joel Klatt. I think Joel Klatt is a very smart guy. I think he kind of covers the game the right way, and he isn't looking to make takes. He's just kind of saying what's going on. So, um... What do I want to talk about is Michigan versus uh, Maryland. Now, everyone would be like, why are you highlighting this game? Why are you talking about a game that's, you know, this? Well, two things. They just played a really, really tough game at Penn State, a hostile environment where, you know, you don't really like the way that they won it. Now, they did get a win, and I'm not going to be like, oh, they didn't didn't win it the right way. But they had a few injuries. They had a few nick-ups. Um, they, they played a big physical game. I think Hassan Haskins ran the ball like 30 times, and now they're going and playing at Maryland, a Maryland who's a team that's been struggling all year, looking to get their bowl eligibility in the last two weeks of the season, um, and they got a match up against this team. They can play wrecker. Um, there's some bad blood between Maryland and Michigan, certainly in basketball, but Michigan steals a lot of recruits out of that uh, area uh, uh, routinely and what you kind of see here is a Maryland team that is extremely explosive, but can't necessarily sustain drives as much as you want them to. Now, they got blown out by uh, by Ohio State. They uh, lost by two scores to Minnesota. They lost by two scores to Penn State, and they got blown out by Michigan State, but I just think that this is one of those weekends where Michigan comes in, and all the fans are talking about next week, and the huge matchup that we're going to have, and I think this game might be close, Um, and I was talking about you know, Cade McNamara and him being close to Anthony Brown and kind of what the offenses can do with him in it. So Cade McNamara has 12 touchdowns to two interceptions. Uh, Brown had 14 to two, or no, 12 to four. Um, Cade McNamara has 1,800 yards passing, but um, Anthony Brown had uh, I think over, just over 2,000, so they're very similar in that way. They're efficient quarterbacks. He has a 62% completion percentage. He's throwing. He has 7.9 yards per average, but really when you get into this team, where's the running backs? Uh, Hassan Haskins has 985 yards, 11 touchdowns. Blake Corm has 778 and 10. Blake Corms out this week. We've Michigan has really ridden Hassan Haskins the last few weeks. It'd be nice to get Donovan Edwards in there for a few more carries. Now, you may be like, why? Wow, he's a true freshman. He fumbled uh, a few games ago. Look, Trayvon Henderson, who is, I think, one or two spots ahead of Donovan Edwards, is literally lighting it up for Ohio State and will probably have 170 yards rushing against Michigan when they play um, in two weeks. And Donovan Edwards has 141 yards for the season. He only has 24 carries, which I think is a product. You know, and 58 of the 141 came on one run against Who was that? Uh, I can't even remember who it was. It was early in the season. It was like Western Michigan or something. Um, It was Western Michigan. And so when you look at this Donovan Edwards-led team, you look at kind of, or sorry, you look at this Hassan Haskins-led team, maybe, you know, cool off on Hassan Haskins. We don't know if Corm's going to be back healthy by the time they play uh, Ohio State. Rather, lean off him. I mean, he's probably gonna get 15 carries, but he doesn't necessarily need to get 31. Get Donovan Edwards some more carries, use him in the backfield, use him in the screen game, let him go and run routes, not just real routes. And I, I think that that would really be helpful to, you know, kind of establish himself, let him kind of get there. Um, and then for the wide receiver room, I mean, this is where receiving is kind of weird. Cornelius Johnson has 500 yard receiving. Eric All has 319, and then Mike Sandersill, Dalen Baldwin, Roman Wilson are all in the 200 less with less than 20 receptions. Um, the next outside of Cornelius Johnson, Eric All, the next guy with the most receptions is Blake Corum with 20, and he's had a lot of drops this year, so that could that should probably be at 30 at the minimum. Um, This team, you know, A.J. Henning, a guy who's extremely effective, has been used more as a runner than as a passer this year. He has 119 yards uh, running, and he only has 58 yards receiving with only six receptions, and I think he has, like, 13 runs. Let me see. Yeah, seven runs and six catches. So uh, maybe get him some inv- involvement this game. Um, Jake Moody has been really good this year, but I think this is a huge trap game for Michigan coming off a huge win. They have to go to Maryland. It's on the BTN. It's at a 3:30 30 slate. Um, it's just a goofy time, goofy kind of situation there where maybe they do lose that one. Um, but really the game of the weekend and the fact that this slate uh, has moved down from 20 to 19 and not more, um, it is, it is only Friday, but I was really, really surprised um, looking at uh, this going in is that they favored Ohio State so much. Now, I know Ohio State has been extremely good in the passing offense the last few weeks, but what you also need to know is that MSU has a good run defense. You, you saw how they stifled uh, Michigan and said, Hey, throw over top of us. We're going to let you get yards, and when it comes in the red zone, we're going to stuff you. OSU struggled in the red zone this year themselves and if there's a team in kind of a makeup of an organization that could stifle this Ohio State team it's hey we're not going to let you run we're going to force you to pass they're going to try an Oregon this game which means they're going to try to get explosive plays run the ball grind the ball down so do I think Ohio State wins this game yes I do do I think that they throw for a lot of yards yes I do do I think that this is closer because they're going to kick field goals they're going to settle Um, kind of look at how that Nebraska game kind of happened. Um, now I think they're going to, Ohio State's going to be a bit more up for this. And one thing that I'm looking forward to is how much Michigan State takes the top off the defense. Now, I know I just said that you kind of got to grind away this OSU team because you don't want to be in a track track. You just can't outscore this team. If you guys keep going back and forth, you're going to, you're going to lose. Look what Penn, look what Purdue tried doing. You know, they, Purdue had the same kind of concept against Ohio State as they did against Michigan State, and they outplayed Michigan State at the game because they kept scoring, kept scoring, kept scoring. They, they they were able to establish. They just kept throwing. They just threw for 500 yards. They were like, all right, you don't want us to run the ball. You don't want us to waste time. We're going to just get it to the edge, get seven yards. We're going to run inside slants. You're going to play off coverage, and we're just going to keep scoring. And Michigan State let them do that. Well, Purdue tried the same exact game plan against Ohio State. Hey, we're going to throw and throw and throw. We're going to run when we kind of need to. Um... And Ohio State said, "Okay, we'll, we'll just outscore you, and we'll get one turnover, and we'll win the game." Um, and, and that's exactly how it went. They had a stop in the first. OSU scores. Uh, Penn, Purdue comes back, scores. OSU scores. So now it's 14-7. Purdue gets into the seven. Uh, I think in the red zone. Red zone fumble. OSU scores, and then it's not a game from there on out. So that's kind of how I look at this game, is if Michigan State can control the ball and take shots when they need to, run your patented flea flicker, right? Run long-developing play actions. Get your speedy guys. Speedy Naylor, I know he's been out, right? I think Jaden Reed's still in. But get those guys out on the edges. Um, Use your tight ends. Run trick plays. Like This is the week to pull out all the stops, to run as much goofy shit, your punt passes, your double reverse option sweeps. This is not a very disciplined OSU team, but if you try to outscore them and you try to match their pace... That's how OSU defense plays because they're super aggressive. They're going to go after things. But if you really grind them, really get them down, make them jumpy, that's when you can really uh, beat this team. You look at how Tulane matched up against Ohio State. Now, Michigan State is not Tulane. I'm not trying to make that comparison. I'm saying look at how Tulane and Ohio State kind of matched up. Tulane was in that game until the end. That had a few turnovers at the end. But what really you know, was the emphasis point and what was really important is the way that they kind of ran the ball, developed these play-action passes, let this OSU defense get jumpy, and throw the ball over top. Now, OSU isn't necessarily the same defense that they were a few weeks into the season. They made a defensive coordinator change, and he's been much better. But don't make this as this is going to be a blowout. Now, do I think it can be a blowout? Yes. Do I think that the fact that so many people are experiencing a blowout makes it less likely to happen? Yes, because most of the time, these people who are doing this are idiots. I think for, without a doubt, a fact that, Michigan State can offensively control the ball enough to keep the scoring down. Now, do I think that Ohio State still probably puts up 40 points? Yes, but MSU's offense is good enough to put up 30 points on this OSU defense. This OSU defense is not very good. They're average to below average, especially in the run game, which is why I think like a team like Michigan and Michigan State match up well. Now, the difference, I think, between Michigan State and Michigan is I think that well Michigan's going to let up a bunch of yards in the run game. State isn't. They're going to say, hey, we're going to play super soft zone coverage. We're not going to let you run the ball. We're going to try to make you one dimensional on how you need to play, and you're not going to be able to throw it over the top of us. So you're going to have to sustain drives, and our one goal is for you to kick field goals when you get in the red zone. And I think that could be a slate for them to win. Now, if I was a moneyline guy, which I'm not recommending any bets here, I was just if you if you like put me on the dollar, I'd pick Ohio State. Now, if you gave me 19 points with Michigan State I would take Michigan State every single time why Michigan State has proven every game right that they're able to score 30 to 35 points 40 points when they have to they've been able to show they they can take deep shots I think that they can score enough that Ohio State and I think that they can manage the clock enough and they can score enough that Ohio State won't have enough time to get to a 19 point win a 20 point win And that is where you can see some money and and where you can see some people being overly aggressive and overly discounting Michigan State's pass defense because everyone has to throw for a lot of yards with them. Like Michigan threw 52 times because you can't run against this defense because they forced you to throw because their methodology, right? Really, really sincerely is their methodology is, hey, you may be able, right? Right. You throw for 300 yards because we're running soft zone coverage on the outside, but we're not gonna let you run the ball down our throats. We're gonna load up on the interior defensive line. We're gonna shack up Jacob Panashuk, Uh, some of these guys in the interior. Um, who's the linebacker with the dreads? Oh, I can't remember the name. I can't remember anyone on that the defense. Oh, sorry. I need to look up this defense. Actually, like I know all the guys' names because the dude was at Tennessee and he transferred. Over. He was originally. At Michigan, uh, committed to Michigan, which is why a lot of people thought that he was going to stay there. Aquarius uh, Crouch and Cal Holiday, the dude who literally looks as if he was first player, last name player, like you just immediately tab through everything. Um, white dude, no armbands, no visors, no gloves. Um, he's a dude. Um, and, you know, it's always a good thing when two of your top leading tacklers are your linebacker, or two of your top three are your bat linebackers. And then Xavier Henderson, who's extremely good, uh, who plays more of a downhill. Um, you know, attacking safety. Now, one thing that you have seen is this state secondary is beat up, but I, I, I think I think Michigan State keeps it close. I Michigan State is this goofy team. Now, maybe that was just under Dantonio, but goofy team that they always play teams close that they're not supposed to be in games with. Uh, you saw it when they went in there with a backup quarterback. Um, in the rain went and beat OSU at OSU. It's one of those crazy things where state always plays and wins games they're not supposed to. Um, they're basically the anti-Michigan, I mean, obviously for a lot of reasons, but it is without a doubt one of their strengths is going on the road, playing in you know hostile environments um, that they're not supposed to win. Um, now, before I wrap up college football coverage, I do need to bring up one thing, Mel Tucker. So Mel Tucker is reportedly in c- contract negotiations for 10 years. Um 75 million dollars, I believe. Let me let me look it up to confirm it. Um one of you state fans are gonna be like, dude, we talked about it last night for like 20 minutes. I know, I know, I know, but I just want to be a hundred percent, you know, correct. Uh 10-year, $95 million. Yeah, see? So I, I wanted to be right. I knew I knew it ended with the vibe, but I couldn't remember exactly what it was. So what does that mean? So two things. Mel Tucker has three years of coaching experience as a head coach. He was in the SEC for a while. He went to Colorado for one year. I think he was 500. He immediately left him to go to MSU. He gets... He, last year, they beat Michigan, don't have a very good year. COVID year, they, you know, completely overhaul their roster, bring in a bunch of guys through the transfer portal, and they have a bunch of dogs on their team now. And now they're competing for, you know, what still is a national championship run at this point, especially, you know, until this weekend, which they may lose. And I think two things have to be said here. So why would they offer him a 10-year contract, even though he signed for two more years and they'd be signing him until like 2034 um, with all of it guaranteed with a huge sign-off bonus well I can I can expressly explain why and and there's pressure there from other schools and so what you may say is oh no he, he was never gonna leave that may be true but the MSU organization right 10 years 70 or 95 million dollars that is an SEC brand level contract that is an LSU contract. That is an Alabama contract. That is a Florida contract. That is an Auburn contract. Those are big boy contracts. Like those are Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State type level contracts. You know, before this year with Hawerball, and, and, and you know, definitely going forward, Wisconsin doesn't play, pay people that much. Iowa doesn't. Uh, Nebraska, do, uh, Nebraska may, but not that much, not for that long, uh, uh, especially. But what I really want to make sure that you guys understand is that the, he they're making this. You may be like, why ten years? That seems like forever away. I'd only do a four or five years, especially because he has two more years and it's an extension and they are directly competing with someone for this I don't know who and this is just like how the the margins work right he didn't immediately accept it either which maybe he's like I don't want to create controversy during the middle of the season but he didn't immediately accept it and um, he's like oh that's in the talks and maybe they're just you know figuring some things out and hemming and Hong, but Mel Tucker doesn't deserve 10 years 95 million now what does he What does he deserve He deserves a raise, and I think we'd all agree on that. And would we Would anyone about to deny if those four years and like seven million a year No, but he makes five million a year right now, five point six somewhere in there, which was a huge step up from his Colorado contract. And then he gets nine point five million a year for ten years. That is a huge commitment. And what you need to know is that MSU has always been kind of fighting. I don't want to be mean to MSU fans, but fighting to be one of those bigger programs in the Big Ten. Now, have they won games? Yes. But when you think of facilities, when you think of tradition, when you think of these things, you don't think of, you know, MSU. And that's not to be mean. It's just a fact, MSU fans. And, and like, don't don't hate me for this. And, like, if you guys have problems with me, please talk to me about it. But they have been fighting for that. Even when D'Antonio was there, uh, it wasn't looked at as a premier spot to go. They're more of a develop and build. Kind of like an Iowa, right? I think... Iowa and Wisconsin are very big comps to Wisconsin. Now, or to MSU. Now that means they win games, they're sturdy, they have good defense, but they're not getting the five-star guys that OSU's getting. They're not getting the five-star guys that Michigan's getting. They're not getting the five-star guys that Penn State's getting. You may be like, yeah, but who has a trip to Indianapolis? Like, I'm not arguing that, guys. Just listen, get over the fact that I don't I don't think MSU's this little dog program. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they're fighting for national brand relevancy. People in Michigan know MSU was a powerhouse for four like in a four or five year stretch. They know that it sucks playing them. They know that they've kicked Michigan's ass. But nationally, they aren't at the same brand recognition that other programs are at. And so what they're saying is, "Hey, I want you to build MSU up, right? Every everyone needs one of those head coaches. D'Antonio definitely was a stepping stone, but Nick Saban left um but D'Antonio, he was a bit outdated, but what you see Mel Tucker, this contract offer is, is hey, I'm giving you a top brand contract. I'm giving you a contract that other big schools would also offer you. Maybe they'll offer you more money, but I'm giving you as much as I can, as much as the boosters can kind of most likely give you, and how much they feel comfortable giving you, and we had him sign off on it, which is why um, I'll, get talk, I'll talk over how you get pay on these contracts. But... Um, one thing that I want all you guys to kind of understand is he they're giving him, hey, we're handing you the keys to our kingdom to build us into a nationally recognized powerhouse brand. Not just football team, brand. Brand, that's the key word I'm using here. How many other D1 football coaches of major college brands are black? Tell me. LSU, all right, Ed Orr around white. Nick Saban, white. Uh, OSU, who's the head coach? Ryan Day, white. Jim Harbaugh, white. Uh, let's name some other names. Notre Dame, uh, Jim Kelly, or no, Brian Kelly, white. Uh, we, can, we can think of Georgia, white. And so this is a huge opportunity to give this black man an opportunity to I don't know why I said black man like that. That sounded extremely racist, I swear I'm not racist. But uh, there's this black coach, an opportunity to build a brand somewhere. Hey, look, I'm trying to build a brand. I'm trying to build this university, MSU East Lansing. Uh, it's you know it's kind of you know no one really goes to East Lansing, you know Lansing, you know in Michigan, right? If you're a Michigan person, kind of like yeah, Lansing isn't really the place that you go. Like obviously the university there, MSU is a beautiful campus, MSU is a beautiful place to be. But like the, the general like idea of Lansing in the Michigan community is kind of like eh, it's not the best place to kind of live. Um, and so he's being bringing this 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 brand availability where hey. You're from the inner city. Look, I, I, I've done all these things. I, I, I'm, I'm Mel Tucker. I, I get that bag. Uh, I, I'm, I'm about the brand. And I think that this is, like I said, a huge opportunity. Now, he didn't accept it. Things are probably getting ironed out. Like, top end, you know, you, you make the national championship game, stuff like that. You get rewarded for it. But I think that this is a direct contest because either the boosters know that he's already been offered he told them he was already offered, or they're just very scared that he's being already offered because his resume at this point does not indicate that he is at the top end, that he is you know, one of these dudes who can manipulate and manage a program. Now, can he? I think so, but this is a huge risk on the state of Michigan State because you got to think about it. Last year, had no time to develop any of his kids. Year 2 completely decimated his roster, brought in a bunch of transfers. Their best player was a tran their best player this year is a transfer. Their best defensive backs are transfers. Um and so like hey, well he's getting he's good on getting guys to switch colleges and I know he's doing good on the recruiting section of things right now. I'm um, getting a lot of top picks a lot better than D'Antonio kind of was. But how does that kind of materialize? through the rest of the years. Um, I think it's a huge risk. Now, I want it to succeed. I love Mel Tucker as a guy. He's He seems like a dude, a guy I want to meet, guy I want to smoke a cigar with, drink some uh, bourbon with. But I don't know if MSU fans, four years from now, if he signs that contract, are going to be like, bro, we're, we're four and six, these recruits didn't work out. I don't know if that's kind of where it could lead, but I, I think that it's a it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk because you don't want to be the what ifs. They already lost a guy like Nick Saban probably because they didn't offer them an LSU type contract and they just do not want that to happen again. They don't want to see another dude who came up in uh, SEC, you know, get an opportunity at their university and then leave. Now, is Mel Tucker leaving? I don't think so. I think he's going to stay. I think he's trying to build something there. Um, but I just think that it's it's a huge indication of where MSU's at as a brand and as a university on where they need to be. You know, they're even talking about for admissions. People are happy to, you know, see a guy like Mel Tucker, you know, be the head football coach with 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 all the kind of sexual scandals and stuff going on there that were going on there for years. It kind of shines a good light when, you know, university admissions and COVID isn't killing them anymore. I also wanna talk about how they get paid. So I know most people talking in this conversation are football people. I know most people talking about this kind of know what's going on, but let me be explicitly clear here. The university only pays a portion to zero percent of that contract. So you wanna know why it's important. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watch it, but boosters, oh, he didn't get along with the boosters. The boosters are the people paying the majority of the coaching contracts for college football so these people who donate money to universities they are the ones paying the contracts because they want to you know argue with their buddies over who the better football team is you know former football alma maters former guys like that you have to get along with the boosters a guy like um rich rod he never had a chance at michigan the boosters didn't like him they didn't want to pay his contract so they got rid of him and you saw it at Texas, and that is what it comes down to. Um, you also see it with at um, Orgeron. He's he was messing around with boosters' wives, flirting them up, stuff like that. That's how you get out of ousted out of universities. These boosters control the money. They control who's getting paid. They control things more so than the athletic director. They control things from top to bottom of the university. If they have kids, if they have family that needs to be ha- have a position of boosters, they're gonna get the spot on the team. And I know it. I know that may seem ridiculous, but when you really look at where these boosters, where the money comes from, these college football f- teams to pay for people, it all comes from the boosters and stuff like that. And so when I say, "Hey, stop complaining about MSU not being able to pay staff," it's 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 unrelated. The boosters are paying him directly. This contract offer was ran through the boosters first. Said, "Hey, if we offer him this much money, can we do it?" They probably asked for a little more. Um, and said, oh, well, this is as far as we're willing to go at this point, you know, we, we like what he's done, uh, you know, at three years in, we wanna be able to restructure it, something like that. But it, that's kind of the vibe that you get uh, out of this is that the boosters are the ones that handle and control everything, which is why it's important to have the boosters on your side. So that wraps up um, my my kind of conversation for this point. I'm gonna run a poll. Who do you think's gonna win this weekend, MSU, OSU? Um, for this segment, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Um, I'd like to get a bunch of interactions, get out, you know, and look at K Corner Podcast. It's on Twitter. Um, I also upload on Facebook, so if you're listening via Facebook um, and you don't have Twitter, uh, maybe put friends on who do. If you're a little bit older or whatever, but I just like to say thank you so much on that segment. Uh, I'm gonna be rolling over NFL. We're gonna be doing predictions for that half of the podcast. We're gonna be talking about the running backs, where they went to college, kind of who's dominating that aspect. Um, NHL, I'm gonna quickly kind of go over um, MLB awards. I'm gonna see we may already be at two hours, and I don't want to run too long. I took a really long time talking through all that stuff. I mean, I talked about Mel Tucker for half of that conversation, and so I don't want to take a huge amount of time kind of going through um, stuff that's you know waiting on. You know, MLB awards, I could cover that in five seconds, but I want to give it you know the right time and the right amount of time, so that way you guys. You know, have have a good idea on where my thoughts are on it, right? Because that's kind of what this is about, I guess, supposedly. All right, so I'm gonna take a quick break. Um, you're not really gonna hear it, but uh, if there's like a weird me jostling back around on the mic, it's because I need to drink some water because I just talked for like 50 minutes straight. How we doing, guys? <clears throat> so, NFL this weekend. Obviously, the game last night was a total bore. Um, I don't know if you guys watched that. I mean. The Atlanta Falcons didn't have one person block the entire night. And the Atlanta Falcons through the first like two two quarters really tried, really, really tried to establish themselves as like a run and play action pass. Like they just couldn't do anything. Matt Ryan was literally running for his life. Matt Ryan made a few bad plays. And it was honestly a close game until Josh Rosen came in. You guys remember Josh Rosen I talked about? I was like, oh, I'm surprised he's even there. And Josh Rosen throws a pick on his first play and he gets returned for a touchdown. Um, 25-0. I think the Patriots put up 44 or something points like that in fantasy. 25-0 against the Falcons. It, it wasn't even a competition. Mac Jones was throwing dudes wide open. He threw for 207 yards, a touchdown and an interception. They were able to run the ball whenever they wanted to. Um, the fact that they didn't score more points was kind of like, hey, I just don't want to kind of waste our... I don't I don't even know. It just. It's just like I felt like 25-0 was like a courtesy to how bad the Falcons were playing. Now their defense was on the field a lot, so that kind of had a lot to do with it. But honestly, that game wasn't close the entire time. 25-0 was, you know, closer than the score indicated. Sometimes it, you know, is different than that. Um, <clears throat> but we're gonna be talking about the NFL, Lions and Browns this weekend. Lions got their first not loss of the season. Uh, they're 0-8-1. Uh, I, I think NFL games ending in ties is really just stupid. I don't like what the... Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, I, I kind of have a talking point on this. So, I, I saw this uh, report that the NCAA is going to limit overtimes after the second one to go on to sh- alternating free throw shots. And it's like, why do they keep trying to shorten it? And it's like, God, I'm so stupid sometimes. The TV revenue, TV's... Don't want to have to keep showing the game, especially when there's a big game on starting behind it. They don't want to have to watch this long. So of course, NFL, one of the biggest brands, one of the biggest things that has games on one after another, it doesn't have a, you know, 10 other channels to kind of jump to like you can, Uh, you know, ESPN, if the game on ESPN runs over, they can jump you on to ESPN2 or ESPN U or ESPN News. Uh, They have a ton of different avenues and for the NFL, they don't. So of course it kind of ends in ties because they don't want overtimes to last for a long time. And then the same thing for the NCAA now and, you know, NCA basketball, they're talking about NCA football. They already did it, even though, you know, it took way more time and it was way worse than a regular overtime. Um, they kind of showed, you know, what it what it what it is is these people in marketing departments and these people, you know, that are at the tippity top that are marketing these brands and TV, they have no idea how the game actually works. They're like, Oh, why don't we just make it one play? You know, like a sudden death that, that way it'll be quicker over quicker. And it's like, yeah, but that usually doesn't, you know, help things. That doesn't. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, it usually doesn't, you know, help how things kind of go. And so the way that, you kind of have to look at ties. It's really just a marketing brand and television, you know, way of handling things. I don't think the NFL likes it any more than anyone else, but that's kind of the way it is. Um, I think this game's going to be a blowout. Browns run the ball really well. Lines don't stop the run. Um, Browns are good. The lines are bad. Uh, I think the uh, I, the lines eleven and a half. Browns by two scores. Colts Bills. Um, the Bills have been reeling the last few weeks buffs are favored seven points. I like the way the Colts are playing. The Buffalo Bills have a very good pass defense, but struggle mightily stopping the run. I think this is a good matchup for how the Colts have been running the ball. I like the Colts here on an upset. I think Jonathan Taylor is one of the best backs in the country. I think him coming out of college and people having a bunch of concerns about him was just hilarious. They were like, oh, well, he runs at Wisconsin, and he is this, and it's like guys, he's obviously the best back in the country. He should have went higher than where he did, but he had a landing spot with the Colts. It took him a week to, you know, a little while to find him out. Leads the country or leads the NFL in rushing last year as a rookie, and most likely going to lead the entire NFL with Derrick Henry going down this year. Ravens and Bears, Bears are better than their three and six record indicate. Bears just always find ways to lose games. I really like the Ravens here. I think the Ravens ran or. The way the 49ers ran it down the Bears' throat, I think the Ravens are going to try to do the same thing, and I think they're going to be effective at it, so I like the Ravens here to uh, beat the Bears. Um, Justin Fields has been playing much better this year. I think part of the reason why he's been playing er, playing better the last few weeks is they've not been trying to do too much with them. They kept things simple. He's not trying to get through eight different reads on a very bad offensive line. They're rolling the pocket out. They're getting the ball out quick. They're running the ball when they need to. Uh, and I just think that this is, this is one of those instances where you just realize that the Bears aren't going to be good this year. Probably not going to be good next year. Allen Robinson's probably going to leave. Um, but three years from now, Justin Fields might be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and I, I, I'd stick to that read. With the way that he can get through throws, with the way he extends plays, with his arm talent, um, th- this 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 roster, this line is you know bereft of talent upon it. Um, I think they should take you know these years of losses with you know getting guys on that offensive line, and then eventually building back some of those wide receivers. Titans versus Texans. Tennessee is 10 point favorites. I think Titans win this game um they've been cruising they have the easiest schedule left in the nfl and they won't have derrick henry but they still won games uh pretty pretty impressive vikings versus packers uh green bay only favored by one point i think is hilarious i don't think this vikings team is very good i don't think they beat up on a lot of guys i mean justin jefferson adam thielen offensively tyler Conklin. David Clunder, shout out to you. Uh, I didn't realize he was your cousin. I remember seeing you post about him, but shout out to you, David Clunder. Your cousin kills it. He scores touchdowns week in and week out. But but I do want to talk about, I, I don't think this game's close. I think the Packers are one of the best teams in the NFC. I think their defense is on a different level right now. Rashawn Gary wrecking havoc, everyone else on that D-line, and that secondary, they went and drafted another dude in the secondary uh, this year, and it's really paid dividends for them. And, and, you know, they've been very good the you know last handful of weeks at stopping anyone from doing anything. Um, Dolphins-Jets, battle of the bottom dogs in the AFC uh, East. Now that the Patriots and the Bills have really separated themselves as the two top front runners. I really like the Dolphins in this week. Um, Jets don't know who they're kind of playing with. Joe Flacco is reportedly starting quarterback this week of the Jets. Mike White is out after throwing four picks last week. Zach Wilson is healthy, but reportedly not 100%, which is why he isn't going. And Mike White uh, seems to have, after that arm injury, or he just isn't very good after you know some people got film on him. I like the Dolphins here um, just because they have a better defense. I think the Jets are going to be completely lost offensively even though they have some playmakers. I think they're going to try to run the ball and the Dolphins one thing they kind of do well is stop the run. Eagles versus Saints. Um this is going to be a tricky match- matchup up. Philly's favored by 2 here. I really don't like this Eagles team in the way the roster is constructed. Now I know Jalen Hurts has been playing better the last few weeks. I don't think Denver's very good and uh they kicked the shit out of the Lions, I believe. So, or that was 3 weeks ago. They've won like 3 in a row, I think. Or two out of the last three maybe. I like the Saints to win here. Um, sounds like Taysom Hill's back. Uh, maybe they'll have Alvin Kamara back. But this team is much better than the Eagles. I think the Saints win pretty e- easily. Um, Washington versus the Panthers. This is one of those where I think people overhype a win because you know, they play well one week. P.J. Walker comes in, Cam Newton wins that red zone package. The Panthers' defense is really what showed up here, and Washington's offense is kind of trying to, find, you know, find their groove with Taylor Hineke. Um, They've been able to hit on some really big plays. They've been able to ground down runs. They've been able to do a lot, and I think that it would be, it'd be, dumb of us to overlook kind of what Washington has been able to do. They just beat Tampa Bay. They're three and six. And I think this defense might round into shape. They might find their footing a little bit better. Um, they're playing better, definitely, at this half of the season. And the Panthers might be, you know, oh, we beat the, we beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals are good and kind of, you know, overhyping themselves because they think, you know, one win against a good team with their backup quarterback, uh, you know, permeates them being good. I think you might have a letdown here. Niners versus Jags. I think Niners kill the Jags here. Um, they're favored by six and a half points. Jaguars offense is awful. I don't know if it's Trevor Lawrence. I've been able to watch a lot of the games. Maybe I'll be able to get one here because it's the San Francisco. Maybe I'm close enough in the area. Um, I don't, I don't know. I haven't looked up who I have on the package yet. Um, because the cards aren't playing until the later game. So maybe I only get one of them and maybe I get like the game of the week and it's like the bears and the Ravens or some bullshit like that. I always end up with games like that whenever I try to watch, Oh, can I watch two? Nope. But, um, that offense isn't really able to go. Um, They're going to try and feed the ball to James Robinson. This offensive line has been horrendous, but Trevor Lawrence hasn't been able to push the ball down the field. He's kind of checked down Charlie at this point in his career. When he does push down the field, it doesn't usually end up in a good spot. It usually ends up in an interception or something worse, but um, the Jags, they got to find their footing, Um, and I don't think they do it this week. I think the 49ers come off off of a huge widget against the Rams, kind of reestablish themselves running the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo finding himself in the passing game. I think 49ers... Bundle up here, get a win, and go to five and five. Bengals and the Raiders. Raiders are in complete decay. Bengals are in complete decay. This is really a battle of two teams who haven't shown up, who haven't been able to win week in and week out. I think the Bengals pick up a win here. Call me crazy, but uh, I really like the way that the Bengals can kind of manipulate their defenses. Joe Burrow has to avoid interceptions too many of those the last few weeks, but I think the Bengals, even though they're coming off of two straight losses after they're 5-2, I think pick up a huge win. If they don't, their season's basically over, but they can pick up a huge win here, kind of reestablish themselves in the race, for the AFC playoff picture. They have the Cowboys and the Chiefs going after it. I really like the Cowboys. That Chiefs defense isn't fooling anyone. I think the Cowboys put up huge numbers this weekend. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs do a lot of things well defensively. I think the Cowboys defense is aggressive enough to take advantage of Patrick Mahomes kind of limiting, or not limiting the offense, but you know, trying to extend plays. Trayvon Diggs out there, Jordan Lewis, some, some real ball hawks out there, and I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes throws two interceptions and like four touchdowns, or three touchdowns and two interceptions, but the Cowboys win pretty handily with their offense kind of marching down on this Chiefs team. Cardinals Seahawks, think Cardinals bounce back after an off week Uh, Colt McCoy is able to go I know they really want Kyler Murray back it sounds like he's still not going to be able to be back this week I think they reinvent themselves and find the run game against the Seahawks team who isn't very good I think Russell Wilson will play better than he did last week against Green Bay but don't at all think that this Seahawks team is good just because they got Russell Wilson back and they won some games but he was in there I still think that they're not very good Now this Sunday night game, Chargers versus the Steelers. Steelers coming off some madness with tying with the Lions when the Lions tried giving them the game, and the Steelers were like, no, you have the win, going back and forth. Um, I think the Chargers get after the defensive line for the Chargers. It hasn't played great this year, but whenever you have a boss on the line, whenever you have guys that can get after it, I think the Chargers win this game. They get a must-needed win. Um, They've kind of struggled the last few weeks lost some close late games games they probably shouldn't have lost and i think the chargers pick up a huge win here to go to six and four i think justin herbert who's kind of fallen into a bit of a lull offensively finds his footing against the steelers team who secondary wise aren't terrific they're great in the front seven secondary wise not terrific and we'll kind of see how that wakes up and i'll uh, preview the giants and buccaneers on monday um when I have my podcast because I'll upload before then. Um, now, guys, what we do have to talk about are the running backs. I'm going to break down all the leagues, who's starting in them, stuff like that. So the ACC has eight guys, three of which are starters. The starters are Michael Carter, Dalvin Cook, James Conner. Now, Cam Anchors is on, also on this list, but the, the way I kind of looked at running back injuries because running backs are so injured and because running backs get replaced, and sometimes it's mostly on the line. If a guy like Derrick Henry gets injured. I count him as a starting running back, even though he's out for the year. Like He's going to come back and be the starting running back, number one. Kim Akers will probably be helped back to health, but Daryl Henderson will probably be the starting job for now. And James Conner, like I said, is the last guy. Um, But there's a bunch of running backs, and a lot of them are coming out the last few years, Michael Carter, UNC, he's a rookie, Devontae Murray, uh, Florida State, Naheem Hines, he's in his second year from NC State, Javonte Williams, UNC, he's a rookie, Dalvin Cooks in his like, fifth or sixth year from FSU, Kim Akers is in his third year from FSU, AJ Dillon's in his second year from Boston College, and James Conner, I think, is in his fifth or sixth year. So all these guys came, kind of came out in the last eight or so years, which proves that the ACC pr- produces really good backs. I've always liked ACC backs. They're really effective, both running and catching the ball. A.J. Dillon, kind of the outlier there, where he's more of running the ball. Um, and A.J. Dillon is actually working his way up into the starting rotation. Um, and he went to Boston College, actually one time, at, was a Michigan commit, and got lulled away um, from, from the university. Um, actually, sad notions because they could have used a guy like A.J. Dillon for a while. But A.J. Dillon um, is the backup, slowly becoming number one. He kind of knew when he was taken, I believe, in the second round um, a, a year ago now, now in a second year, that he was going to be kind of worked into that. James Conner leaves the starting position at Pittsburgh, joins up on Arizona, you know, team that may win the Super Bowl. But uh, Michael Carter is the starting running back for uh, the Jets. Javante Williams is the backup right now for the Broncos, but depending on how the offseason goes with Melvin Gordon, he may be the running back. Number one, they kind of split carries, and it's more like Javante Murray is used in a bunch of situations, and you know so is Melvin Gordon. Now we go to the Big Ten. They have 11 running backs in the NFL currently, but only four of them are starters. The starters are Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, and Saquon Barkley. Miles Sanders is on this list, and... oh. Wait, one, two, three, four. J.K. Dobbins and Miles Sanders are on this list. Both are out with injuries this year. Both haven't established themselves enough to me just, yep, they were the starters. Because especially with that Ravens offense, a bunch of guys were used. Now, obviously, J.K. Dobbins is the future of that position for them. But if he can't stay healthy, injuries kind of ravaged his career, which hopefully not, I, I believe in him, uh, I, I like them, Miles Sanders, same thing, Miles Sanders is an extremely good running back, but you kind of break down where these guys are from, so Tevin Coleman, backup, Indiana, J.K. Dobbins, OSU, Chris Evans is actually listed as the backup for Cincinnati, the Bengals, he's a U of M guy, Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, Carlos Hyde, Older OSU guy, Melvin Gordon, Wisconsin, Ezekiel Elliott, OSU Justin Jackson out of Northwestern. If you guys remember Justin Jackson at Northwestern, this dude was not fast or quick, but he'd make like three mini cuts in the hole and just get five yards every time. Like he wouldn't he wouldn't burst you for 40. He couldn't really make a bunch of people miss, but he just made all these like weird small cuts and moves in the hole. And it was so weird to watch him run. But he got, you know, he was a thousand-yard runner back-to-back seasons. Saquon Barkley. Um, I believe he's not out with injury at this point. Uh, I think he's back healthy. Um, let me look. Because um, he was listed as starter. Saquon Barkley. Injury update. Sorry, I, they listed him the as start, starter. Yeah, so he's back, limited in practice, but he's he's obviously their starter um, You know, going forward. Um, a lot of guys... In here, um, you could throw two more starters in, in J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders. Um, Trey Sermon for OSU is one of the last guys on the list. So you see one U of M guy, Chris Evans, and you see four OSU guys, um, and you see two Penn State guys, and you see two Wisconsin guys. So of the guys in this, only team that produced anyone right now. So this is kind of how I look at who's who's better. Um, the only team that's produced starters in the NFL, and, and let me let me make sure that you're hearing this, the only guys, the only teams that have made starters in the NFL from the Big Ten West are from Wisconsin. Purdue, David Blau, backup quarterback. C.J. Bathard, Iowa, backup quarterback. But there is not a starting running back from the Big Ten West outside of Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the only place really in the Big Ten West that NFL talent comes out of on these two positions, and I think that's an important note because of the way it kind of all breaks down. Um, Another guy in the ACC, sorry, is Travis Etienne. I almost forgot him, Clemson, running back. The only reason why I'm not counting him is because he went out before he even played an NFL snap with a foot injury. Um, He'll be a backup when he comes back in the game with kind of James Robinson, but he may be listed as a wide receiver, interesting fact. Um, So Big Ten uh, is... Uh, Second in total guys um, with 11. The only team they're trailing is SEC, which I'm going to get into kind of how ridiculous that is. Big 12, Joe Mixon. They have five five guys, three starters. Joe Mixon out of OU. David Montgomery out of ISU. Cordero Patterson out of Oh, shit. What the fuck? I don't know why I did that. They only have four. Um, Chuba Hubbard um, is the last guy. I had Cordero Patterson, Tennessee as the Big 12. I don't know why I did that. Maybe they should be with the way they play. Um, so that makes things a little bit even crazier. 17. All right. Sorry about that. Um, so Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, uh, they have Damian Williams, who's really the backup, um, at OU or yeah, he's a backup. He went to OU and then Chuba Hubbard who started, but Chris McCaffrey came back. So obviously he's back. And now we have the running back conference. Um, 17, let me make that clear, 17 running backs in the NFL currently from the SEC, 10 of which are starters. So Najee Harris, Alabama, Derrick Henry, Alabama, Damian Harris, Alabama, Nick Chubb, Georgia, Josh Jacobs, Alabama, Darrell Williams, LSU, uh, DeAndre Swift, Georgia, Alvin Kamara, Tennessee, Leonard Fournette, LSU, Cordero Patterson, Tennessee. So, those are all the starters. Um, You see some Tennessees. You see a lot of Alabamas. I know at one point that like half of these guys were on the same roster. I know Alvin Kamara was on the roster at Alabama. Um, Like guys like Damian Harris didn't even get a ton of carries. Josh Jacobs didn't get a ton of carries, but they're Alabama backs. And you know they're going to produce in the NFL because they're five stars. Um, LSU obviously has been really good at producing backs. Same with Georgia. Um, Some of the guys that I didn't mention. So, Obviously, Benny Snell, Kentucky, Kenyon Drake, Alabama. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been out with an injury, LSU guy. Mike Davis, South Carolina. Mark Ingram, Alabama, another Alabama guy. Leonard Fournette, or sorry, Sonny Michelle, Georgia, and Alex Collins, Arkansas. So, you know, you have the the monster heads of Alabama, Georgia, LSU kind of leading the charge. Tennessee has a few guys in there. And, And, you know, that's the SEC. You kind of see that, you know, Bama, Bama, Bama. Um... And in the quarterback field, um, it's just wild that these schools are consistently putting people. So when people, like, you know, are talking about talent level and, oh, well, the SEC is the best, it's like, if you're Vanderbilt, you can't claim the SEC is the best because you aren't fucking part of it, dude. Like, you aren't part of anyone going and being successful. Now, baseball, you can definitely talk about it. Basketball, maybe a little bit, but you can't talk about the success that SEC has. You don't have any good players. That, that'd be like, like think about this. Indiana has more than some of these schools. Indiana, Northwestern has guys. Dude, Northwestern, you have to be a certified genius to get in there. And and, and one of the things that I I, I really kind of need to hit on it would be like if Rutgers was like, yeah, the Big Ten's like the second best conference. We produce NFL talent. It's like, who we? Who, who's we in this conversation? Like you ain't affiliated with us. You ain't part of producing that. You ain't you don't make the guys better when they play you. You are like, oh, we're facing Rutgers this week. And that is kind of the SEC is just a stable of talent. Um, I'm going to do wide receivers next week after I do shooting guards for basketball. But finishing up Pack 12, they have eight players in the NFL, but only two starters Miles Gaskin for Washington and Christian McCaffrey from Stanford. Um, they have a r- bunch of really good back, backups. Zach Moss out of Utah, he drafted last year, um, and he uh, plays a, sig- a good amount of snaps um, for Buffalo. Um, Philip Lindsay, guy that got some starter times when Melvin Gordon was out at uh, Denver and now is the backup over in uh, the Texans territory. Uh, Ronald Jones, USC, they listed him as a starter, but Leonard Fournette gets the majority of the carries. Um, and Eno Benjamin, which is a guy that got drafted right here in uh, Phoenix Cardinals. He's getting some reps, um, and he was listed as the backup. Uh, for them, I also wanted to give Eno Benjamin a shout out. So now we have non-power fives, 14 non-power fives. Uh, there's players, seven of them are starters: Devin Singletary, Conference USA, FAU, and now we kind of see a run of Memphis and the AAC: Kenneth Gainwell um, from Memphis, and Antonio Gibson from Memphis, Daryl Henderson from Memphis. So those guys are all really good backs. They kind of They kind of do the things that uh, ACC backs do, um, is they're good out of the backfield, they're good at catching, they they do a lot of different things um, that those backups do, but Aaron Jones, uh, Green Bay Packers running back, Conference USA UTEP, um, Elijah Mitchell, um, Sunbelt, this is the starting quarter running back for the 49ers, he's out of Louisiana, not LSU, just Louisiana, Rashad Penny, Mountain West, San Diego State. That find themselves in the top 25 but there's a ton of good backs out of here Latavius Murray who was a rushing leader at one point I believe Uh, he went to UCF to Ernest Johnson AAC South Florida Jeremy McNichols Mountain West Ball State uh, Boise State sorry Tony Pollard who is used in the backfield a lot Um, AAC Memphis so Memphis just has a ton of running backs that get into the league maybe not as many wide receivers as you'd want but uh, they can produce an NFL caliber running back uh, year in and year out um, JD McKissick Sunbelt Arkansas State Jamal Williams um, non-conference BYU uh, he still is uh, he he was injured so uh, if you saw uh, if you saw Enmike Obukwe um who's the running back who scored like the 50 yard touchdown last week I actually follow him um on Instagram. I followed him for a long time. I didn't I knew he was at Northwestern and then he ends up being in the league, but he isn't the number two running back. Usually Jamal Williams is, but he was out injured, but he's coming back this week. So I listed as Jamal Williams is backup because he usually is, and he's going to be in the line. So I'm going to do that. Alexander Madison, also Boise state. So you look at some of these schools, um, these power fives, you're like, why are they so good? You know, they have NFL talent at these, you know, power positions, at the running back position, at the quarterback position, um, you know, at these skilled positions where you look at a school, like why has Michigan struggled so much? It's like, when we get to the defensive side of the ball, which I may do like D ends and stuff, but that kind of gets funky with who starts and everything like that. I may just look at defensive side of the players, you know, D line overall and kind of break it down that way. But that's also a lot, maybe, I don't know how I'll do that. We're looking at offense right now. So eventually I'll get to defense. But uh, is like defensively they're producing NFL talent. It's like yeah, 13 players drafted, 11 players drafted out of Michigan. But for Alabama, it's their quarterback, wide receivers, running back, defensive end, and you know linebacker, and they all go in the first four rounds. And for Michigan, it's it's you know our long snapper, our kicker, our you know safety, our cornerback, and they're all going in the third and fifth and sixth round. And it was something crazy. The first running back drafted out of Michigan was Chris Evans, who was drafted in the sixth round, who didn't get a lot of playing time at Michigan, was the first running back drafted since Mike Hart out of Michigan, which is absolutely crazy to think about with how many you know talented recruiters are there. And you see schools like Memphis, and it's like, how are they good every year? And it's like, dude, they have NFL caliber guys. They, they, you know, they pick up these guys, and Michigan can't find a single one. Um, FCS, there's three. Um, kind of a trend we're seeing, right? Talked about this with the quarterback. There's three FCS, All three of them start. David Johnson starts. James Robinson starts. um, Austin Eckler. David Johnson's out of Northern Iowa. James Robinson is out of Illinois State. Northern Iowa and Illinois State is the same conference. And Austin Eckler's out of uh, Western State uh, Colorado. Um, So all three of them start. And what you're seeing is kind of these guys that are maybe not what you think, a little bit more raw, and they go to this level. And obviously they, they can produce, they can compete at this level. And, you know, you don't reach on one of these guys if they aren't good. Uh, you, you know, it's really hard to reach on these guys where some of these guys from the big conferences, you know, they play in a big conference, you kind of expect them to be at a certain level. And, you know, that's kind of just how it is. Um, if you guys like this content of me kind of producing, uh, the, these random stats, um, these random kind of inquiries, please let me know, uh, it does take a, a good portion of time. It probably takes like an hour and a half, hour or so to kind of reconcile the list and get it all formatted correctly um, each time I do that. So if you guys do do like it, please let me know. Um, because if you don't, I can stop it and we can come up with something else, something maybe a little bit more interesting. I'll put a poll out next week about that. Um, like I said, poll on who do you think is going to win, OSU, MSU is coming ahead. All right. So we clicked off NFL predictions. We talked about running backs. Where are we going to lead to next? And I am going to talk about two things. Le'Veon Bell, like I said, is getting moved to next week. We're going to talk about NHL, MLB. I'm skipping the NBA today. Um, The only reason why is because I had so many predictions to go over. I kind of went over a lot of them, a lot of them in depth. I also talked about Mel Tucker. We did the NFL. We did the running back things. And because when I talk about shooting guards next week, when I do uh, my, my fill and sheet, I get to talk about the NBA regardless, and I can talk about it a little bit differently, and I can kind of, like, use that as a talking point in it. So, um, NHL, MLB awards, i um, going to get into that. NHL, Connor McDavid had another highlight last night. Like, this man, every time I see him make plays, I'm just like, he's so much better than everyone else, else around him. I, I'd assume that's kind of what it... Felt like when Gretzky was around. Now I'm not calling him Gretzky, guys. All of you people who are 95 years old that are listening to my podcast, all zero of you. I'm not saying he's he is exactly he's the second coming. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is I'm sure that's what it felt like when you were watching Gretzky kind of dominate people and, and you know year in and year out destroy people. That's probably what it felt like that that feeling. Um, looking at some scores here. Um, Maple Leafs continue to win. The Sabres, guys, they're in full implosion mode. Um, They lost 5-0 to the Flames. Just zero faith there. Uh, The Red Wings lose 5-2 on the Golden Knights. Like I talked about, goalkeeping is kind of suspect. Defense is suspect at this point. And and it can kind of bear the fruit. Um, The Red Wings got a lot of shots on goals last night. They only scored two goals. And they're 8-9-2. Everyone talked about a playoff berth. Uh, Maybe not this year unless they really tighten things up. You know, down the stretch, uh, there were was a Predators versus Senators game that got postponed. I assume that's probably from COVID or something like that. Um, the Oilers win a game. That that goal that he scored was absolutely highlight worthy. And you know, he's been scoring these goals in the opportune time. It's not just scoring goals to score goals. You know, down three to one or four to one, uh, it, it's scoring goals when it matters. Um, the Blue Jackets win another close game that a huge comeback against the Red Wings the other night and they win five, four in a shootout. Um, I like the way that everything's kind of going so far this year. We do have two matchups tonight. Um, but they're both on ESPN plus. I like the fact that, uh, NHL hockey is back on ESPN, but I hate the fact that they used it to boost ESPN plus. Um, I don't like really like ESPN as as a customer and it, it's just frustrating to see that they kinda do this ESPN thing where they, they they just go, Oh yeah, this is what we're gonna do and every game's on ESPN plus. Like I, I don't even get it unless I have ESPN Plus or Hulu to watch Kraken versus Avalanche tonight. Like that's bullshit. There's nothing on tonight. It's Friday. You can't give me that. Um Kraken Avalanche Tonight, Canucks and Jets. It's part of the ESPN Plus. Um, ESPN Hockey Night is specifically the Avalanche versus Kraken game, um, which is a lot of fun. The Red Wings and Coyotes play tonight or tomorrow. Um, uh, Red Wings look to pick up a win. Coyotes are not very good. Hey. I should probably go to that game. Maybe I'll see if I can grab some tickets. Because they're in. Huh. That'd probably be a good idea to see if I can go to that game. So I may be doing watching a live hockey game on uh, Saturday. But there's a lot of things going on. Um, I'm not going to really focus on individual stuff like that, um, mostly because I don't know kind of what's going right now. Um, Leon Drysdale... Uh, is at 33 points on Edmonton, and Connor McDavid is at 30 points on Edmonton. Obviously, probably line mates there, going back and forth, getting Connor McDavid assists, giving him assists. In all likelihood, you see Alex Ovechkin up there. Obviously, that man is a menace. Leon Drysdale is leading the NHL in goals with 17. Um, in leading the uh, goaltending numbers is Jack Campbell for Toronto. Uh, you know, part of their winning ways, part of the Maple Leafs finally winning some games, is probably in the fact that. They have really good goaltending so far into the season. There is NCAA football on the night. It looks like we're getting some uh, matchups. Um, Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, Houston, Memphis. Uh, that would be a good game to watch tonight. Air Force, Nevada, uh, San Diego State, UNLV at, on CBS Sports Network on um, uh These games are all late though because it's West Coast and then we don't have any more games until tomorrow. So that is going to kind of cover up and wrap up my NHL coverage. I know it isn't very in depth and I need to start watching games and be able to really watch it. Maybe I'll just go on like an NHL like cast and kind of just like scroll through Twitter to kind of get like Twitter moments. If you guys, like I said, if you guys have any helpful hints, helpful ideas on kind of what I can do, please let me know. But now we're going to talk about the MLB awards. Um, Shohei Ohtani won the unanimous MVP award um, last night, which he deserved. Anyone who was talking about, well, Vlad Guerrero Jr. deserves it, guys. We just witnessed something that's never been done before. Like, not in a game as old as baseball, and in a game that's this old, you don't get to say that. Um, you really don't. I I think that because we live in an era where people say, oh, this is once in a life, like this was literally once in a gosh darn lifetime um, that we saw here and, it, it, it's, we're never going to see probably anything like this again, even from him. I mean, I think he led the league in home runs. He hit 257. He, he slugged 592. He had 100 RBIs. He had 103 runs. He had 26 stolen bases. He also was their best pitcher. He was their best hitter and pitcher. Obviously, Mike Trout was out. This is Shohei Otani. Um, he had 156 Ks through 130 innings. He was 9 and 2 with a 318. Like, this was absolutely an incredible performance. He was without a doubt. Um, the best player, the most impactful player, you going to be like, well, this team didn't win any games, guys. It's about winning games. We got to win games around here. You see, I'm going to get into my joker voice. No, but it's 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 not about, hey, dude, like I think the Angels may have won five games if he wasn't in this lineup. He hit 46 home runs, 100 RBIs. They went nine and two. He was the best pitcher on a team that he hit for, that he was also the best hitter for, and his team still sucked. Like they were just a bad team, and I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm not gonna blame this dude who threw 130 innings for this team, who hit 257 and hit a had 100 RBIs batted in. Like like he was an absolutely unprecedented, never seen before, best season ever. If we get another year of that, he's in a Hall of Fame. He just has to be because he he might have two back to back unanimous MVP award seasons, which. All of you people are like, the Hall of Fame needs to be or Barry Bonds champion. You, know. you guys are morons, and I've gone over it before. The Hall of Fame is all these dickwad writers who are so worried about, like, you're t- trying to tell the story of baseball. You have dudes in there who played five goddamn MLB seasons whose slugging percentage and plus are average, and they went to two All-Star games and finished fifth in MVP voting, and you're like, yeah, but they're in the Hall of Fame. Like And I know that's part of the older generation, but like these guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame when they're on it because they're impactful players. They're not got goddamn charity cases that we're handing out afterwards. And like I said, the only time that these people are going to get in the Hall of Fame are when they're dead, and that's why baseball sucks. And baseball sucks. You're killing your own game, even though it's growing. Even though baseball is growing, more people watching every year because more people are alive every year, but baseball is dying at the heart of it, at the center of it. You guys are rotten to the core. Side note. National League MVP award. Bryce Harper wins his second one, just the fifth player to earn an MVP honor with two teams, both in the NL here. He hit 309, 429, 615 slugging percentage, 35 bombs. He only had 84 RBIs, but RBIs, guys, are a team component. RBIs are not something. If no one's on when you hit 35 home runs, if, if no one's on when you get that many times on base, he had 429 on base percentage, guys he hit 300 and he had 120 points higher of getting on base and he slugged effectively. He had an MLB best, 179 OPS, which means on base plus slugging. He absolutely dominated. He's also a terrific right fielder um, that we have to talk about. And he, he just did it all. Bryce Harper, finally, um, I, I called him overhyped for a few years. He had one really good year where he won the MVP. He kind of got paid and kind of slumped down a little bit, but Bryce Harper is going to be a future Hall of Famer. I think it's so cool that I, when I grow up, I'm going to be able to tell kids, hey, you guys know Bryce Harper, the Hall of Famer, the guy that's probably talking in the booth the same way A-Rod is now. I watched highlights of him of hitting balls out of same. You're going to be like, no, you didn't. That was not just one of your tall tales. And I'm going to be able to look through YouTube if it still exists and then watch him showing 500-foot mammoth shots and, 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 and like, I just get to do like, and I'm so happy. And that's why I love the game of baseball because of how much it can transcend times is that I get to say, Hey, I watched a dude win back when two MVPs and I got to watch him grow up in the hype surrounding him and him skipping and going to a Juco so that he could graduate early and go in the MLB draft. Like he didn't do it the normal way, right? Like in the. And that will be. There's one path, or sorry, in the NFL there's one path. Go to a huge NFL school, become a future Hall of Famer. Like obviously people go alternative routes, but like like for example, a guy like Josh Allen. But opening up eyes to JUCO and things like that. All right, Cy Young Awards. Um, Robbie Ray was extremely good. You want to know why the Blue Jays made a run at the postseason at the end of the year? It's because Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray, uh, got traded away a long time ago. Um, from the Tigers, so that means that in one year the Tigers had five, or make it six Cy si Young winners on one team, and they lost in the first round of the playoffs. Um, Robbie Ray was exceptional. Um, he he was he was so damn good. He had 248 strikeouts. AL led the AL in uh, ERA with 2.84 uh, strikeouts uh, with 248. ERA 2.84, innings 193 in a third, and WHIP 1.045. Became the first Toronto pitcher since Roy Holiday in three to win the AL Cy Young. Um, he had a terrific season. Lefty guy that got traded away, couldn't really figure out in Arizona. Took uh, you know a bit on himself, signed a one-year contract with uh, Toronto and pitched phenomenally. Um, I don't think anyone was really mad about the AL Cy Young race. The AL Cy Young was kind of you know it kind of made sense what happened here. It kind of made sense kind of where things were um, with him winning it. But here's where the controversy comes in. Um, Is in Corbin Burns winning the NL Cy Young? Corbin Burns, um, there's a lot of issues with, um, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there's issue with how good he was, but there's issue with his lack of innings and he's more of an analytics pitcher and there were some other guys that were more of hey this guy was much better so this is kind of wanna how I want to frame it so Corbin Burns was extremely good this year he he led the e, he led the MLB in ERA with a 2.43 mark he also led the MLB in strikeout rate K's per nine strikeout to walk ratio but he only threw 167 innings so he also had a pitching uh, wins above replacement 7.5. Um, Burns 15 strikeouts on August 11th were tied for the most in the game this season. Um, he was part of a combined no-hitter, but he didn't go deep in games because of how effective the Brewers' bullpen was, because of how good the Brewers you know were and how well it played in the analytically and did not face the lineup a third time. He didn't go deep into games. And so that's where a lot of people were super, super mad about him being You know, the 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 pitcher. So this is what Zach Wheeler is really the guy. They talked about Max Scherzer, but I don't think Max Scherzer kind of had the the nod late in the season with innings and stuff like that. Although he did have a very significant .864 WHIP and joined the 3,000 strikeout club, but didn't really have you know the the Although you know, there's kind of three guys that could do it: Zach Wheeler, Max Scherzer, or Corbin Burns. And I think people are kind of mad because Corbin Burns. Was the guy that won it, and he was the analytics guy. So Zach Wheeler was 14 and 10 with a 10. Point, with a 2.78 ERA, he led the baseball in innings pitched, complete games, shutouts, batters faced, um, uh, batter war um, 7.6, and he also did the NL in strikeouts 247 and finished second in the league in F war, which are the, like the two way that you can do war, F war and B war, a 7.3, uh, FIP Uh, in XERA, which are all like advanced analytic terms for saying that he was very extremely damn good. And the fact that, you know, the dude, because he was so efficient, but he never had to go late in the games. He never had the, the, the late inning projections. And of course they shut him down, but Max Wheeler had to be the load first team because of how bad that Philly bullpen was. And it's like, who does the Cy Young award go to? And that was kind of like, but then you also have Max Scherzer, Who's 37 years old? Went 15 and four, uh, had a 2.46 ERA, 236 strikeouts, 179 innings, with an MLB best WHIP. And it's kind of like there's so many different categories that people were better than. And Corbin Burns kind of took more of the advanced analytics, not you know the the typical ones. And Zach Wheeler, you know, got punished for throwing a lot more innings, probably later in games. But he had three shutout or three complete games and two shutouts. I think that should be factored in the fact that he was a fa- horse. I liked Zach Wheeler more in this. Um, Now we're going to rookie of the year. Randy Rosarino won for the outfield, but he played so many games last year and he's also 26. I just thought it was kind of dumb that um, he was awarded the rookie of the year where a guy, you know, it is just so weird the way that this kind of played out. I don't think he should have been eligible with how many games he played last year. I I think he should have been ineligible, but oh well, that's neither here nor there because the fact of the matter is, is that he won it and it's set and over with, but um, Jonathan India won, uh, the, uh, sorry, won the rookie of the year for, uh, the NL. Um, he was a non roster invitee and he led all MLB rookies in on base percentage doubles, walks, runs, and games played while ranking second in OPS with 8.35. So he had a terrific year, second baseman, uh, for the Cincinnati Reds, just absolutely stupendous, stupendous, stupendous job. Jonathan India shout out to him. Hopefully he can be a stable for that Reds team. I know they're probably going to be losing some guys in the off season, but uh, I just it's, it's always cool when a rookie who is a non-roster EVID ends up winning rookie of the year. Kind of how crazy baseball is. So manager of the year awards. I don't understand this one at fucking all. So how does Kevin Cash win it? When there was three to four different managers that went above and beyond. They went to the World Series last year and you don't even make it there this year? Like I don't I don't understand how kind of that works is that you have less good of a year than the year before. And everyone rewards you again. Everyone talks about you again. Like, what? What in the Sam hell is this? Um I'm really kind of pissed that uh uh who's the Houston coach? Oh my god. I'm gonna kill myself because I don't know this. Dusty Baker should have won it. Um, the Mariners guy, Scott Servais, or or the Boston guy. Like, there's just so many guys, and it's just like, yep, Kevin Cash because he relies on analytics. Beep, boop, 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 I made the worst managing decision ever. I drove my star pitcher out. Benny Snell. Boop, 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 boop. But I followed the analytics. Boop, 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 boop. Like, it's just one of those frustrating things because it's like, who the hell? Like, he had a good team. Everyone knew he had a good team. They played well. And they went there last year. How do you, how do you win it back to back years when you don't get to the peak you hit last year? It doesn't make any sense. And then they made like the great decision with the Giants. You know they led MLB in wins, one hundred and seven. Gabe Kapler, um, like he deserved it. Like there's nothing else. The San Francisco Giants weren't picked by anyone. They came together. They had a very successful season. They led the MLB in wins. And then you have to face, you know, the Giants, which are not the Giants, the Dodgers, who I wouldn't want to face in any series. Which is why the MLB needs to reward and change the way the postseason is done. Um, Gold Glove awards. The only few I want to talk about is pitchers. Marcus Stroman was not announced. Like Marcus Stroman is the best infielder. Maybe it's because he's so good that they don't, you know, judge him on the same scale they do with every other pitcher. But he's a much better infielder in guy than anyone else. Like Marcus Stroman is elite. Like he's the best. I just don't understand. I just truly, 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 truly do not understand how he didn't get it. Um, Platinum glove went to Carlos Correa. Astros as a team were the best one. Um, Marcus Simeon gets one. This is huge for him because Marcus Simeon has always been a you know, really a, a you know competent shortstop, but he won gold glove at second base this year, um, and he is a dominant force in the lineup. I wouldn't mind seeing the Tigers, if they strike out on Carlos Correa, possibly go and get Marcus Simeon to be a bat in the middle of the lineup at the shortstop position. Obviously, on the other side of the card, Nolan Arenado wins the platinum glove like he does every year. The Cardinals wore the best guys, and these guys, I mean, they're absolute, absolute freaking wagons. The Cardinals, first baseman, second baseman, third baseman, uh, left fielder and center fielder, all won Gold Gloves. Absolutely incredible accomplishment from those guys. And I, I think Gold Gloves is kind of goofy. And this is what I was going to get to. Um, we can talk about Silver Sluggers, but it's literally just who's the best batter. You know, I mean, it's that's more like you can look at kind of things. Um, what I did want to talk about. And, and what I really want to talk about, uh, most impor- importantly, um, players' choices, Shohei Otani, um, relievers of the year, Josh Hayden and Liam Hendricks. Um, both of those guys were very deserving. Um, Josh Hayden is incredible, even though he's probably a racist. He, he throws so goofy, it's incredible. Stork Achievement Award was also issued to Shohei Otani. Um, Ichiro Suzuki and Shohei Otani are the only Japanese-born players to, to win MVP awards, which is absolutely incredible. But can this not... like all MLB is still going on. Guys, the season finished at the end of October. We are now 19 days into November. No one gives a shit. Do this in between playoffs. End of season is. End of season is uh or do it before like the World Series. There's usually like two days off before the World Series, or there's like a day off before it. Do all of them right after the season ends. Have them submit with 10 games left to play in the season. And if anyone needs to change the submission, they can. But like it's absolutely ridiculous that it takes this long to get through awards. No one gives a damn. Most of the time, like just announcing them playoffs. But we're we don't find out until weeks after the World Series ends. Like not in the middle of the playoffs, like way after the World Series end. I think it's incredibly dumb. And I think it loses kind of the gumption of it. There's so many other sports going on right now. There's so many other things kind of happening that it kind of takes away. The, the funness and the excitement on who's playing in the championship and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I have the OSU, um, MSU podcast going up or question going up, who do you think's gonna win? Um, I do want to uh, set 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 out a kind of a timeline for stuff. MLB, I'm not gonna cover anymore. Um, there's going to be an all-MLB team. It's something that I really enjoyed because All-Star, whenever there's an all-star game played in the middle of the season, there should definitely be an award at the end of the season because if you're awarding people for all-stars, like especially with baseball, like people can have horrendous second halves and they don't make it the all-pro team. I really like that they do in basketball. I like that they added it to baseball. Um, on a completely different note, I also want to kind of hint at um, – Le'Veon Bell is who I'm going to be covering on Monday. So it's going to be heavy NFL talk, uh, heavy NBA talk, um, obviously NCA. I'm not going to talk about rankings where I think people are ranked until Wednesday. So I may kind of like skim over and just go over results about individual games I watched. And... Um, the, the real important factor is if there's no upsets, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the NCA because I want to see where the rankings come out heading into the last week. Like if Ohio State wins, if Oregon wins, if all the teams that you know are higher-ranked upsets, meaning higher-ranked team wins, not who's favored in Vegas. I know that's not how upsets technically go, but that's how I'm using it in this context. Um, that way, you know, I won't really talk about it until rankings, where I can really dive in to talk about, you know, was this right? Was this one better than this one? So I thank you guys so much for listening uh, into the podcast today. I will have a podcast out tomorrow. I do not know if it's going to be early or late. I haven't quite decided. The Mission game isn't on until 1.30, but the important games are on at 10. So it means I'd have to wake up around 8 to get everything ready for the Dune. Uh, it probably will only be like 45 minutes to an hour, half hour, maybe sometime in there, but I do want to talk about it. I also kind of want to watch Ghostbusters. Um, that I've heard that's a lot of fun. And so my goal, right, is Dune... And then next week, record. I'm not going to record over the weekend because um, I'm going to be chilling and I have jobs starting up next week, Monday. So I have things to do And in, in terms of that. And then also, whew, the weekend after I start my job is the Big Ten Championship game. I plan on being free because Michigan isn't going to make it. So I will be able to do another movie podcast. Hopefully, Ghostbusters, maybe something different. I'll let you guys know. I'll keep it uh, even with you. There's so many sports going on right now. It's gonna be crazy to talk about it. I know Steph Curry had a forty point night last night. He went absolutely off again. He's been going crazy the last few weeks. But I really wanna note that outside of like crazy moments, because I've been covering so much NFL because or sorry, NCA and NFL, I really wanna get into covering like news stuff. Like if you heard about the Eric Stacy guy or Aaron's whatever, who beat the crap. I like. I want to cover some of those things to be a little bit more news-driven, not just game and results-driven. Now, when I say news-driven, I don't mean I'm dawdling on about conspiracy theories and shit like that. I'm not starting drama or talking shit about individual players. I just mean looking at context, looking at things surrounding sports, which is kind of how I'm going to do NHL. Um, but I thank you guys so much for listening. The corners have been painted. You guys have a wonderful rest of the day and a wonderful weekend. We'll see you tomorrow.